For us, one of the early decisions that was the most difficult to make was kind of the tech stack that we would use to build our no-code platform. We don't use a single database. We use two or three different databases on the back end based on the type of data that we need to pull from. Our front end is all React, React Native. We have mobile, Python, and you know, it's kind of everything in between from a tech stack. But that took us probably four to five months to kind of hone in as we tested different types of things and how they might fit together. You know, the hardest part for us was, you know, where do you start to build such a massive product? My name is John Darbyshire, and I'm co-founder and CEO of SmartSuite. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart. And today, how John Darbyshire created the system that allows you to build any process, any project on one platform. All this and more on Code Story. John Darbyshire is joined at the hip with his wife in life and in business. They've been doing business together for 22 years, along with having two older kids out in the world doing their own thing. He loves to do anything outside and claims to be at Newport Beach almost every day. After selling his prior company called Archer Technologies, he sat down with many founders of startups, investing in their ideas and working with them. What he noticed was that they spent the same amount of time talking business tooling as they did on their product. He started to think there must be a way to have one operating system for all of these tools. This is the creation story of SmartSuite. SmartSuite is a company that helps any organization manage processes and projects on a single platform. And what that means in layman's terms is that any process that you have in your organization that you use to manage your business day-to-day, whether it be sales, marketing, HR, product development, or a whole host of custom things that are unique to your business, we provide a single platform that allows you to just use drag-and-drop technology to build out those, those flows, those workflows or processes. Uh, in a way that's tailored to your business. We provide out of the box about 200 best in class industry templates across about 35 different process categories that help you get started. Those generally get you about 85% of the way there from the initial download. And then you tailor that over the next couple of hours to fit your particular process. What's unique about SmartSuite is the speed at which you can automate processes uh, in your organization, whether you're a couple of people in an organization or a Fortune 500 company with teams of thousands of people uh, managing a process. The thought process behind SmartSuite is that on average in any company, uh, an average employee uh, works with six to eight different products each day to do their job, jumping between you know, email and collaboration tools and maybe some project management and some process tools and maybe some point solutions around sales or marketing. That's just a lot to kind of manage. And when you onboard new employees, you have to kind of go through those six to eight different tools to get them onboarded. When they leave the company, you have to offboard them across those six to eight different tools. A product like SmartSuite, which is in the work management space, allows you to have all of that in a single platform to kind of manage all your collaboration, all the security and permissioning sharing elements that you might have in place. And then it just makes it easy to connect processes to each other. So if I have maybe 
a group of accounts that is kind of managed inside of sales, but the marketing team also gets access to that information to make updates and to tie that back to their work. And maybe the same with HR, the same with maybe your product development or product management teams. Our single platform allows you to kind of do that in one place. I built one of the first, or one of the early, second generation early no-code platforms back in 2000. The name of the company was Archer Technologies, and that company's went on to kind of be the standard in the governance risk and compliance space. And we work with you know, 75% of the Fortune 100 were customers, uh, mainly you know, large enterprise types of accounts. And we had the chance to watch how they built and managed processes in their organization. After we sold Archer Technologies, I kind of moved into a period of time for the next eight to 10 years where I really just invested in startups, about 400 different startups, had the opportunity to work with. And as we sit down with the founders of those startups, a lot of time we spend as much time talking about the tools that they needed to manage just the core business as opposed to the product or service that they were trying to bring to market. And that stuck with me for a long time. And as we thought about, you know, maybe getting back into tech with SmartSuite, we really wanted to solve the problem, which was, you know, let's just have a place that helps me manage my business from a process and project perspective in one place, really a business operating system for getting work done in an organization in the same way that maybe you have iOS for your, your iPhone that's there. So um, that's how kind of uh, SmartSuite got started. We spent um, the first two and a half years as a company, very quiet. We didn't tell anybody what we were doing. I didn't update my LinkedIn profiles. Uh, we had about a hundred developers on staff that helped build uh, what we called our MVP, which was really not our, our minimal viable product, but really our maximal viable product of you know what our customers needed to be able to solve this problem. And we felt that if we took the traditional approach of the minimal viable product, that it wouldn't solve the problem for customers and we would just be another tool that was there uh, kind of in the mix as compared to if we came out with the ability to solve this problem from start to finish, uh, we'd be looked at a little differently in the market. And uh, that's where we are today. We launched about four, four and a half months ago. Um, so we're still kind of in the early stages uh, of uh, just taking off as a company. Let's dive into that MVP or, you know, maximum viable or minimum viable. Tell me a little bit more about that, how long it took to build, and what sort of tools you use to bring it to life. You know, we spent a good two and a half years before we um, actually allowed our first customer to kind of jump in and, and actually use it for the first time. Not to mean that we didn't take input from lots of different customers and, and potential partners along the way. But we really wanted to, we sat down with them to really understand the processes they had in their company and the way that they would like to manage those processes. And what SmartSuite, what's unique about SmartSuite is we really go across seven or eight traditional product categories from, you know, at the bottom, you know, collaboration tools, uh, you know, like a Slack email tools, like, you know, Gmail and Outlook form building tools like uh, you know, form builder or type form or job form then project management tools like asana uh, 12o reich you know more into the business process tools and then up the stack into integration tools like zapier and make um, so you kind of see that full stack of we wanted to provide 90 to 90 percent 90 to 95 percent of the capabilities of those tools that i just mentioned in a single platform so that you didn't have to cross these boundaries of all these different tool sets 
when you get your work done. And then, you know, that helps you be more efficient. Uh, but it, there's also an element of a single source of truth and how you actually secure the information um, inside of that single platform is easier as well. Um, so our approach was to you know, be heads down for that period of time. Um, about six to eight months ago, we brought on our first customer, probably our first 10 customers, uh, ranged from one or two user companies that were you know, startup type all the way to some Fortune 500 accounts that were, you know, traditionally have used um, enterprise level no-code platforms to get things done in their organization. So we were trying to solve the problem between providing a single platform from, you know, just a startup all the way through the enterprise and kind of everything in between, as opposed to a focus just on the enterprise or just on the startup segment. Well, in, in building an MVP, in any MVP, you got to make certain decisions and trade-offs around, you know, tech debt or approaching it a certain way or tooling or, or you know, what you were mentioning earlier about building a maximum viable product. How are you approaching your market? Dive into some of those a little more for me around those decisions and trade-offs and how you coped with those decisions. For us, one of the early decisions that was the most difficult to make was kind of the tech stack that we would use to build our no-code platform. Um, and what was great was that, you know, going back two to three years ago, uh, you know, there were a lot more opportunities and to select things in your product stack than you had even four to six years ago that was there. Uh, so it, and building in these new tech stacks made things uh, easier uh, for us. So, you know, we don't use a single database. We use two or three different databases on the back end based on the type of data that we need to pull from. Uh, our front end is all React, React Native. We have mobile uh, that's supported through that uh, as well. And then, you know, Python and, you know, kind of everything in between from a tech stack, you know, is it's just fully integrated from day one. But that took us probably four to five months to kind of hone in as we tested different types of things and how they might fit together. Um, and then you know, the hardest part for us was, you know, where do you start to build such a massive product? Because each component of the architecture is built on the next component of the architecture. And what we found as a company was there were two or three areas that we needed to focus on, that we needed to have teams just go build and get ready. And then once those areas were built, we had to figure out then how to bring those together to communicate back and forth. There was no, what we found, there was no one place to start and have everything built on. We had to start in three different places and then make it work. And an example of that is the core of our product is our field types. So a field type is just a certain type of data that you want to collect and that you put that information on a page or on a form for a user to complete. You have simple things like text fields and text area fields, you know, dates and numbers and selections. But we wanted to be a lot more complex than that. So we ended up with 44 different field types that users can uh, pick from. Each field has its own built-in data validation. So if you're putting in an email or a series of emails, you can you can know that when the data is being input, that it's in the correct format to be an email. The same with phone numbers. Um, you know, same with IP addresses. It sounds very simple, but most no-code platforms, those are just text fields uh, as opposed to with very limited data validation. So bad data in means bad data out on the reporting side. So we wanted to solve that problem uh, immediately uh, that was there. 
Um, and then the, the second major item for us is on the reporting side. We wanted to be able to pull data in seven or eight different formats as you are running a report and you could switch back and forth between these reports, which are called views. So, you know, you have a traditional spreadsheet type of view, which we call grid, but maybe you want to see data in a card type view that's just a, a little more pleasing to the eyes as you look at information that's there. And we have Kanban and calendars and timelines and maps and dashboards. So all those pieces kind of had to come together uh, and work with any of the 44 field types that we had in place. So the first year as a company was really focused on kind of the architecture behind the scenes to make all of that work and to make things a little more complicated for our dev team for each field type. Let's say you had a single select and a values list. Uh, we give users four to five different display options for that information. Um, you, know, you may want a solid color pill. Maybe you want to have an icon that's in a certain color and a name after that, or maybe a color dot and the name. So our thought process was no two companies are alike and the user interface needs to be unique to the company and the way that they want things. So we give you a lot of power just on the fly to uh, you know, add a field in just a couple of seconds and then select the display format. And then that cascades through the entire product the second that you uh, make that update. Okay, so you've launched a few months ago, right? You, you've got the product out there. Um, how are you planning to progress it and mature it? And I think to put that in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how are you going to build your roadmap or how are you building your roadmap and deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing for us to build? We have a, a customer-centric roadmap. So we, we use a number of different tools that allow us to um, bring all of our customer feedback together and for one customer to uh, post requests for product features or enhancements and then for other features to for other customers to see and vote on that uh, and to add their comments. Um, so we, we use a product called Canny that allows us to collect some of that initial feedback for our public roadmap. Um, it also allows one customer to provide comments on, on a particular feature and what happens over time is before we'll kind of put something on our formal roadmap, we'll see that we have 15 or 20 customers um, that are requesting that same feature. And then our product team uses that information for the initial product designs um, that begin to solve the problem. Before we write requirements and you know move down any path of development, we start with just designs. And we then share that information back with the people in the community that are most interested in those features. And typically it's broader than the let's say the 10 or 15 or 20 that requested it, more people, once they see the designs, would like to provide input. And what we're looking for there is you know, visually how would that feature fit inside of SmartSuite in a way that allows them to view information or automate processes? And does it make sense to do it, you know, you know, you know option A, option B, or option C? So we get a lot of feedback kind of during that process. And I'm involved in that process each day. Uh, I probably spend two to three hours of my day each day with customers. We record those uh, each of those customer feedback calls so that we can transcribe them and then we kind of break them down so that our product team can really understand different points of view on how to solve the same problem with the same type of feature uh, that's being requested. And then um, that moves into kind of our internal roadmap and gets scheduled for release uh, and then I'm responsible for kind of the official roadmap of the company that 
drives all the teams in the direction, you know, where we're headed with our work uh, week to week. But that's all uh, all based on customer input, and we look at it from from two ways. Um, you know, the number of votes for a particular feature, but then we tie that back to um, the customers and the plan that they're on inside of Smart Suite and the revenue that they generate. So I can actually see a number next to a particular feature that tells me, you know, we have, you know, $550,000 of revenue tied to this feature from the customers that are, you know, requesting it versus maybe a, a feature that maybe has $10,000 of revenue uh, tied to it. So we don't always go by just the largest um, dollar amount, but that's a good gauge for us to kind of set the tone for, you know, those larger ones are pretty easy to make decisions on. And, but sometimes the, the $10,000 uh, option is just as viable because we think that once people uh, understand that feature and start to take advantage of it, that it's quickly going to you know, kind of cascade into something more meaningful for them. Let's switch to team, John. So how are you going about building your team? And what do you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? There's a couple of things that we look for there. Um, in the early days, as we were just building our development team, what we found was we we found three great partners that had pretty large stables of tech resources available from tens to twenties up to hundreds, even a thousand uh, resources. And that allowed us to quickly uh, pull the right resources in based on the different parts of the product that we needed to build. And we're talking, um, some really, really high-end development. Uh, one firm out of LA that does a lot of work kind of uh, with SpaceX and kind of in that industry at that level uh, that's there. All the way down to we just need great, you know, people-centric developers that can communicate easily with us day-to-day, be a part of a team and can really focus on getting things done in the technologies that we need. So what happened is we have a development team that spans nine countries. Uh, what the nice part of that for us is that development for us happens 24 hours a day. So each day when I kind of come into the office, meet with the product team that's there, I get an update on you know what's not just happened the last eight hours, but what's happened the last 24 hours across everything. So it allows our velocity to be, uh, you know, just our, our go-to-market velocity to be a little higher than a normal company working you know eight to ten-hour days. Uh, because in our case, things build upon other things. So it allows that building process to continue uh, daily for us. And then, um, you know, that's for the for the development team. For kind of our customer-facing team, um, what we call our onboarding specialists, and these are people that interact with customers and partners on a day-to-day basis that's there. We, we look for really young, energetic people that love to interact with people like they're not shy uh, with that and they it doesn't bother them when customers ask questions and need um, you know need answers to things and we um, we have a, a a big focus on people that enjoy responding back through videos so we use a lot of loom videos so we want them to be comfortable in the way that they present themselves back in the loom or just comfortable in that that, that that's a, a preferred way for them to communicate and what we found is that our customers appreciate that more because they can share those loom videos with other people in the organization or go back and watch them as we describe, you know, how to automate a particular process or take advantage of a particular feature uh, that might be there. 
Let's switch to scalability. And given how you approach the MVP, I'm curious where where you'll take this question. But did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or are you fighting this as you grow and gain traction? Anybody that, that answers that question honestly is saying that scalability is something that you deal with on a month-to-month basis uh, in a company. And we did our very best uh, as an organization to pick the right architecture from day one with scalability in mind. But I can tell you that in year three, you find ways to do things more efficiently and better than you did when you started writing code in year one. So you're, there's always tech debt uh, that's there. And there's uh, always a challenge of how much time do we spend on the tech debt now versus two months from now compared to do we do new feature, new feature, new feature right now as opposed to uh, addressing scalability. So. We, we try to uh, take time in each sprint that we do as an organization. A sprint for us is on average two to three weeks, uh, depending upon the team and the part of the product uh, that's there. And a part of each of those sprints is focused on tech debt. And we view um, really performance and scalability as one of our three core features of our product. So we treat you know scalability as a feature. So when we build something new, we're not just interested in the design or the capabilities of the feature. We're also interested in the performance of the feature or the impact that that, the performance of that feature might have on other areas of the product uh, that's there. So we try to address this monthly uh, as an organization. Well, John, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? Building SmartSuite from the beginning was a really big idea, uh, you know, with all these different pieces that needed to come together that, you know, it's really five or six different companies in one company. If you think about it from a, a product company perspective, that's there. And just the fact that we've been able to, to build the core infrastructure and launch in two and a half years was a really big deal for us. We, uh, you never Honestly, you never know how long something's going to take when you start an endeavor this big. You can always add more and more resources to help speed things up, but uh, it's hard to kind of nail that down. Can I really get this done in this period of time at the level that I want? And we did about 90 to 95% of that uh, in what we're our launch, what we call our launch product, our maximum viable product uh, that came to market. So I think we're, as an organization, we're pretty proud that we're able to bring together all these different aspects into the single platform, uh, kind of in record time compared to what any of us had done prior. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Probably the biggest mistake that we made early on was that we felt that it was going to be better to have a smaller development team focused on things because there was just so much knowledge that needed to be in place to be able to start working and building. And what I learned along the way is that there are a lot of really smart people that um, can figure things out if you just give them the opportunity. And uh, personally, I wish that we would have started, uh, you know, day one, month one with a larger uh, development team to spread, kind of spread that knowledge out. We, we started with about 15 core people, and then we had quite a large QA team and architects and things around them, but that core 15 people easily could have been 35 to 40 
in that first month uh, for us to take off. And that would have helped us uh, bring our product to market, you know, faster than we did in that two and a half year window that we had. You've launched for a while. You've got a, you know, a way you're building your roadmap. What does the future look like for the product and for your team? For us, you know, it, it's all about sales and marketing. It, it's really about marketing. Uh, today, <laughs> you'll, you'll find this probably interesting. We're a, a development-first organization. Uh, we have a couple of marketing people in the entire company. Uh, we do no paid advertising. Everything is word of mouth or through social media or one customer uh, sharing information with another customer. That's the biggest single way that we've uh, brought customers on. And then uh, we spent, uh, we're beginning to spend quite a bit of time on our partner network, uh, which we're finding brings us the largest volume of new customers uh, on a day-to-day basis from our affiliate programs where we like to take people that have um, groups or audiences that they communicate with that might have an interest in uh, smart suite in the way that we're doing things and we incent them with 50% of the first year revenue for any account that they bring to us by just making an introduction. So that's really became our, our go-to uh, you know, sales or marketing channel. And then the second part of that is our consulting partners, which just here in the last month is growing very fast for us. These are organizations from a couple of freelancers to more formal uh, consulting companies that maybe have 20 to 100 consultants to even the big companies that have thousands of consultants uh, becoming certified on our product, joining our partner program. And then as leads come in to SmartSuite, we pass those back out to the partner community to go work with customers to help implement larger processes uh, that's there. And in that case, uh, there's a two-year revenue split. They receive 40% of the first year revenue and then 30% of the second year revenue. And as most consultants realize, most growth in SaaS products happens at the end of year one going into year two as people find value in products. So we're trying to share with our partners uh, the revenue that's joined over that full 24-month period as opposed to just the the first 12 months. Uh, That's typical. The future of our product really is, you know, we're just following the customers. So uh, there's no shortage of new processes that come to us each day from existing customers or prospects that we have. And we love to just sit down and, you know, in most cases we can model out a process in an hour to two hours on a call with a customer and get it 85, 90% of the way there. Like it's, it's really that fast and smart suite. But at times we run into things that people are asking for that we can't do. Um, and that's when we really kind of dig in and, and, think about the new features that need to be on the product roadmap to support that particular instance of something that somebody needs. Well, let's switch to you, John. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or or many persons or or anything you look up to and why. I had some really great mentors early in my career as I, the first company that I joined was actually, I was by trade, uh, had a degree in, in finance and accounting and uh, went to work for a real estate development tax and accounting firm in Newport Beach, California that did mainly real estate development type work for some of the largest developers of this area. And I thought that that's what I wanted to get into uh, early on. And the, the leader of that particular firm that I went to just taught me a lot about how to run a business and how to treat people. and. You know, just how to create a really unique work environment that's really carried with me kind of through my career. 
And that allowed me to be, you know, a direct admit partner at Ernst and Young. I think I was 31 or 32 at the time to run one of their global practices. And at that point, I had the chance. We had 1,500 people just in the practice that I was running. I had the chance to kind of see things at scale. And I learned a lot from quite a number of partners uh, at Ernst Young about how to package products and services in a way that large volumes of people um, could understand and purchase from that was there. And it was more the organization of how things were structured that allowed for this really big organization to operate so efficiently uh, day to day. Um, and then from you know, from kind of a product influence, you know, Steve Jobs and the work that he did at Apple was always inspiring. I just, I like the way that, that he took a problem, thought about that, and then came back with unique ways to solve that problem. And in most cases, in with new technology that people had never thought about before. And that's top of mind. I've always appreciated that. And when we build software, you know, I, I like to think that we're not just trying to build what people have already built. We're trying to think about how people really want to use it and build something that feels unique from what's in the market today. Well, last question, John. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? You know, successful companies um, are all about sales and marketing. You know, it's I, I, I can tell you from meeting, you know, with the 400 investments that we've made personally in different startups, um, I, I've seen great technology with great leaders and poor marketing that has failed. You know, I've seen just adequate technology with amazing sales and marketing that just really excelled, even with mediocre leadership. But when you have all three of those, like that's when you build something, you know, that's very special. And most entrepreneurs, myself included, love to build things. And we don't always spend the right amount of time focused on how to get our product to market in a way that the masses can consume it that's there. And that's something that I talk to quite often with young entrepreneurs is that's just as important as the great idea that you have that's going to change how people do something is how do I tell these people about that and how do you surround yourself with uh, people in your company, you know, other leaders or co-founders that are just as good at sales and marketing as you are maybe on the tech side uh, that's there. And then the last thing that I've kind of learned that I love to share is that um, most of the successful startups that I've been a part of have two to three founders, not just a single founder. So when I talk with single single founder uh, startups with great ideas, I encourage them very quickly to, you know, can you find a second or a third co-founder or can you bring on uh, some people that are just as passionate as you are about this idea in other areas of the company? Because it's as things begin to scale, it's very difficult for the young founder to kind of maybe manage things across every aspect of the company as compared to having people they trust that could, you know, take some of that workload off of them in other areas. That's great advice. Well, John, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of SmartSuite. It's a pleasure. I've listened to the code story over the last month and I'm excited to be here today. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. 
Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.